You are listening to Discover, a podcast from the DIS Team Ministry. Hello and welcome to this podcast from the DIS Team Ministry. What is Advent? For many people, it's just about Advent calendars and a little bit of chocolate every day. For some people, they have Advent candles, which they light each day during the month, and it drops down and down until it reaches December the 25th. All this seemingly relegates Advent to little more than just a preparation for the business of Christmas, getting through umpteen carol services, at least we would be in normal times, and preparing either liturgically or in our own homes for whatever is coming at Christmas. But Advent is a season in its own right, has been since about the late 5th or early 6th centuries, and it was used in many times as a penitential season, completely separate from any connection with the celebrations coming at Christmas. In the Middle Ages, this was developed a little bit, and so that it, well as talking about the last things and the judgment, the second coming of Christ, it also started to think about a celebration of Jesus' Incarnation, the first coming of Christ at Bethlehem. So what is Advent all about and why is it so special? And should we try to rescue it from the shadow of its bigger brother, Christmas? Today I'm joined by two other members of the uh, ministry team, by Canon Tony, our team rector, and by Janice, one of our lay readers, as they used to be called, now licensed lay ministers. But to both of you, welcome and thank you for joining us. Tony, I know that you particularly value Advent as a, a, a season in its own right. Um, just, just briefly as an introduction, would you like to say why you value Advent so much? Uh, thank you, John, very much indeed. Yes, I would. Um, it, it, it's, of course, I think very easy to say what Advent is not. Uh, so I'll start with the negative and a- aim for the positive. The one thing I would want to say is that I have never, ever, ever felt that Advent is a preparation for Christmas. And I think that's a huge mistake. And the clergy who want to reclaim Advent as both you and I do, I know, the fight is always with those who simply say, well, it's all about getting ready for Jesus coming. And although there is an element of truth in that, on the whole, I would like to suggest that that people confuse the, the simile, to use a literary word, rather than the actual. And what do I mean? So I'll move to what I mean. I think Advent is a really good time to reset our spiritual and psychological clock because we we trundle through life, trundle through the world, and we have uh, lots of things competing with our time. But but just occasionally, it's really important to, to be made to stop and think again. And that's actually what Advent does. It, it, it's deliberately there to make us stop in our tracks and ask the bigger questions. And I think uh, one of the things I've found helpful over the last few years is to refer, as I do most Advents, to the fantastic poem by Rowan Williams on Advent. Now, I know that many people found Rowan difficult to understand, but his poem about Advent 
is, is relatively straightforward and it produces, I won't read it, but it, it produces lots of images and similes about how God comes to us. Uh, he says he comes to us like a, a November wind that shatters absolutely everything. It's so dramatic and so violent that we have to stop and we have to pay attention. He also says it's a bit, sometimes it's a bit more quieter that God comes to us like a frost on the morning, making everything go silent. Or he also says it's a bit like the darkness coming at the end of the day, suddenly the darkness comes, we don't know how, and then there is a silence again. All three of these kind of comings make us stop and ask questions. Now, it's true, we don't like this process, it's, it's a very uncomfortable thing. Uh, things like um, storms, frosts, darkness, they're all kind of negative words. They're words that, in a sense, we'd rather not have. I mean, let's be honest, we invented electricity in order to, to, to not have darkness. Uh, we have heating systems to protect us from the frosts, but yet they come regardless of that, and the Advent message is that this is how God comes to us. And then in the last verse of this poem by, by Rob, uh, Rowan Williams, which I would, would want to encourage everyone to find on the internet, it says, and perhaps we ought to think also that he comes to us like how he did at Christmas. And I suppose it's because of the business of the Christmas bit that we think wrongly that Advent is about preparing for Christmas. It's not, it is about waiting and, and, and coming to understand that God comes to us in these dramatic moments in order for us to reset our spiritual psychological clock and makes us think again about what's really important in life and it's not actually, in my view, the, the tinsel and all the trimmings of Christmas. Is it, this one of the reasons, perhaps, that I remember in a previous parish, I got a huge amount of complaints when uh, we had a school carol service in the church and I wouldn't let the Christmas tree lights be lit because it was still Advent and not yet Christmas. And a lot of people, well, you know, town lights and the rest, are, as you say, it's a dark season, people like a, a bit of light and jollity. But actually, we should let Advent be about embracing the darkness rather than trying to pretend it isn't there. Maybe that, that's something. But Janice, you like uh, Advent as well. What's, what's it about Advent that, that gets you? It's a lot of what Tony said. It is a penitential aspect, but it's also much more, a, as it's been described in one book I looked at yesterday, a joyful expectation. And I do really like that sort of tension between the penitential and the joyful that you get in Advent. And you don't get that in any other season, I don't think. I mean, Lent... You know that Easter is going to come after Lent, but it doesn't have the same excitement, perhaps, that you get in Advent. Also, the I do very much appreciate the 
the symbolic nature of light, the lighting of the Advent wreath each week, that candle, an extra candle each week, that adds to the light in the darkness and the sense that it's getting brighter and brighter as the weeks go past, which I think is a lovely symbol of what we are looking forward to. And the, the aspect of waiting. I read a book some years ago, which I could totally um, recommend to people. Um, the Meaning is in the Waiting by Paula Gooder, who's a well-known religious writer. That book for me really had a lasting impact. The importance of being willing to wait. And for so many people in today's world, everything's got to be quick, it's got to be instantaneous, and they don't want to wait, but we have to wait for the coming of Christ. Perhaps we could get right back to the basics, because we, we, we use the term Advent, uh, we, we think we know what it's all about. But what does the, the word Advent actually mean? Because I think for most people, it's simply an, an adjective that goes before candles or calendars or whatever. Uh, what is Advent? What does Advent actually mean? Tony, would you like to guide us through that? I'm always nervous about uh, you asking me questions which have a right or wrong answer. Um, uh, I, I have always taken the word Advent to mean coming. So it would be interesting, wouldn't it, if we actually, using Janice's love of the, the Advent candles, if we, if we kind of started by saying, oh, this week's coming candle, that would put a different slant on things, wouldn't it? Coming is really uh, um, what I understand the word to mean. And to that end, the book that Janice has uh, so enthusiastically recommended to, to the listener, The Meaning is in the Waiting by Paula Gooder, it is actually all about how people in the Bible showed that they had to wait. Um, it talks about Abraham and Sarah, uh, his wife, who had to wait a long time to have a baby um, in, a, in an atmosphere where they thought it was never going to happen. And again, also John the Baptist had to wait to see if Jesus was going to be what he was going to be and was at one point quite disappointed. And then Mary too has to wait. Um, so interestingly, I think that's the word that should be uppermost in our mind when we answer the question, what does Advent mean? It means we are waiting for a coming. I said in the intro that in its earliest years, it, it tended to take on some of the uh, properties of Lent and it became understood as a penitential season. And that it was very much to do with thinking of, of, of Christ's second coming at the end of the age and, and, and judging all things and so on and so forth. Then in the Middle Ages, it also started to have something of a, of, of a looking forward to the celebration of the remembrance of his first coming, the incarnation. Of, of, of the baby in the manger. Does Advent nowadays, even if it is uh, celebrated properly, have something of a rather Janus-faced thing? It's, it's, it's trying to look at two places at once or in different directions. And does that not help people's understanding of what it's about? Is it both trying to deal with the second coming as well as celebrating the first? And which, should they be equal or should one have uh, precedence over the other? 
I think um, I must let Janice have a, a, a say here, but uh, before she does, I'll just say the two symbols for Advent that the church has often used, which I find quite interesting, is the, the two Greek letters, Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. And uh, when I said earlier about Advent is a time to reset the clock, uh, and I, I'd like later, after Janice has spoken, to say something about maybe why I think this is a psychological season, mm-hmm. uh, but I'll leave that for the moment. I, I think that the beginning and end is what, what Christians are asked to look at. They're, they're asked to look at what happened at the beginning of time when God created the world, and uh, they're also forced to look at what happens right at the end, according to the Bible, and, and then by doing both, to make sense of what happens in the middle, because we find ourselves in the middle. We are in the middle. We're not at the beginning of time. We're not at the end of time. We're, we're somewhere in the middle, and it could be quite a big middle. And because we're always in the middle, we get ourselves um, uh, stuck in thinking that that's the only thing that matters. It's all about now, everyone tells us. Well, actually, you know, to understand now, we need to understand the beginning and the end. And I just genuinely think that Advent is a time for us to, to really think about the whole purpose of everything. And as we learn to, as Janice has said uh, so helpfully, learn to wait, we have to understand as we look at the beginning and at the end that the whole of the waiting is surrounded by, by wonder, by mystery, and by surprise. Uh, and I think what we're being presented with is a God who is all of those things. God is wonder, God is mystery, and God is full of surprise. I like the idea of mystery in the season. I, I think one of the reasons it's so often played down is, well, we know it's all really about Christmas and we want to get that over so we can get on to the, the real jollifications. Rather, as, as, as people have said to me over the years, oh, we, we don't come to church on Good Friday because it's, it, it's very depressing and we know it's going to work out all right in the end. You know, it, it's, it's the same sort of idea. Now, although the, our listeners uh, don't know this, I can uh, see both of my guests on the screen and I could see the, the horrified look on Janice's face when I uh, thought of coming to her and asking about uh, the two ends of Advent. Have you had time to uh, think of a a good way out of that one? (laughs) The only way I can think of it really is, it's like a sort of tension between the two. I, I very much agree with what Tony said. And I think that's another aspect that I found, find so attractive about Advent. Is it the sense of mystery? And, yeah, you're holding in tension the beginning of the Christian story and the end of the Christian story. And, I mean, the title of the Paula Gooder book, I think, is quite relevant in a way because, of course, it is, as people may well know, a quotation from R.S. Thomas, one of my favourite poets, The meaning is in the waiting. And that is actually saying it's the the waiting that's important in a way. It's not what happens at the end of that as much as, you know, we look forward to 
Christ's coming, whether that be the first coming or the second coming, but it's actually the waiting for it that's important. And what we do and how we react to it, that is what really matters. I was reading in a book, uh, preparing for this just a few days ago, and there was an interesting an idea there that just as we, we often have readings from Isaiah and, and others of the prophets during the Advent season, and just as the, the Jewish people were, were in exile and, and, and they had enormous difficulties and problems through, yet although things looked black and, and dark and deep, there was, there was hope. And I think hope is one of the real things about the Advent season. It's so easy for us to sound bland or trite about hopes of, oh, well, never mind, things are rotten now, but they'll all come right in the end. But this writer was saying, just as the Hebrew people were in exile uh, and, and waiting for the day next year in Jerusalem and all that, that the church is in exile at the moment and sort of stuck between the promise, which we had in the beginning, and the, uh, the, the culmination, the fulfilment possibly present, possibly uh, a future time. But Tony, I guess that goes back to what you were saying about it being more of a, a psychological season in that way, that especially nowadays, we're so much in need of, of hope when we look at the world and continuing warfare and uh, democracy in, in trouble around the world in Europe and elsewhere. Um, and, and it's so easy to give up and say, oh, well, we're just sort of really like, literally lighting a candle in the darkness, but what can we do? So what is the psychology that helps us through in Advent? Well, I think that the thing to do, and this is why I so love uh, Rowan Williams' poem, is that actually we're in the business of realising that some of the worst things in life, some of the worst things that happen to us, like, say, storm, the cold, and also the darkness, are the very things that somehow quite mysteriously causes us to, to be hungry for God to come and help us. When we're all feeling happy and jolly on Christmas Day, or some of us maybe, um, actually, um, you know, we don't have any need for God, or we can leave God out. But it's interestingly, it is when we're going through trouble that actually we find that we need him most. And there is a psychological hunger, I would say, a hunger for wanting to get back to God. Instinctively on our own, we won't do it. We, we're just not built to do that. But these hugely hard and difficult things help us to re-engage with what is really important in our living. And that's why Advent is so important. It's why, uh, like your good self, John, and indeed Janice too, we love this season perhaps um, more than most of the Christian year because, because actually we just know how good it is for us. And you, the word Christmas is a simile. It's, um, I, love, I love the way Rome Williams finishes his poem because he says, God comes to us in all these ways. Oh, yes, and also he comes to us in the baby at Bethlehem. And, and it's like a simile. I don't know if people had to learn poetry and, and techniques and things at school. I know children today are taught 
what similes are, but the famous one that I remember learning as a child was uh, from the poem about the highwayman, which starts, the, the road was a ribbon of moonlight over the purple moor. The, the, the moon was a ghostly galleon tossed upon cloudy seas. We know that the moon wasn't that. We know the road wasn't what I said, but the simile helps us to understand the feel of it. And Christmas helps us to also feel how God comes to us, which is why in the collect for, for Christmas, or, or Advent rather, I should say, it's, it says we remember the first coming, which was in great humility, it says, so that on the last day when he will come again, we will be, be ready. And therefore Advent is about psychologically making us ready to receive God. What would you say that Advent is about a sort of an expectant hush? And I'm and, and talking about the psychological, I'm, I'm just going to throw this in, and you can either both uh, agree or disagree or say I'm talking nonsense. But is it perhaps a season that appeals more to introverts than extroverts in that way? I think as an introvert, Advent speaks to me a huge amount of, of hope. And also, of course, Advent Sunday is the church's new year. So it's a new year with all the connotations that tend to come with new year, that hope for the future. And especially this year, because we are looking through the tunnel of COVID to possibly some light at the end of the tunnel with vaccinations and so on. So we're hoping for a good new year, really. I would say, John, that introverts are much better that they always are much better at getting in touch with the the issue of waiting. They have a much more stable way of of reflecting. Mm -hmm. But that's why it's jolly good for the the likes of me, who are the extroverts, to actually give ourselves over to that uh, process of being quieter and reflective and saying less and thinking more. That's why I love Advent, because it forces me to not be yak, 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 but rather instead be still and to hunger for, for the living God. That's, I guess, why we have that lovely canticle at morning prayer about the soul longing for God and, and, and so forth, which is, which is beautiful. As we're coming towards the end of this podcast, what would you say to encourage some of our listeners, perhaps, who would like to try to experience Advent more than just a period when they've got to get the turkey in and decide which set of in-laws they may or this year may not be allowed to go to. What advice would you give them to, to make Advent real and useful? I would say focus on the things that forces one to wait, to, to just simply be quiet. That's why lighting a candle... I mean, I'm not altogether sure. I agree with Janice on the, the the desire to have lots of Advent candles. I think it can be quite twee, actually. We do it, but I'm sort of got a 50-50 about it, really. But lighting a candle and letting that in the darkness cause you to be silent is a really excellent idea. And you know what? You don't have to go to church to do that. You can do that in your home. You can make your own little Advent wreath with four candles and and light them and 
as it were, remember. Plus also, I think the other thing I would say is that the, the, the Advent season is cluttered with brilliant readings from the Bible that can make one do that. But they, they're all designed to make you stop and think. I mean, and the stories, uh, particularly the ones that Paula Gooder has in her book of certainly of Abraham and Sarah and John the Baptist and Mary, they're not preparing people for the baby in the manger job. They are preparing people to wait. I would also suggest another book, which which has always meant a lot to me. And if people have a, a, a pencil, they could write it down. It's called A Time of Waiting, Images and Insights. I don't know if, if Janice knows this book, but if she doesn't, it's one that she should get because it's all about three paintings. A painting of the Annunciation, mm-hmm. where um, the angel comes and visits Mary, and there's this moment in the painting where where you where you can see and feel and touch the sense of waiting. Then there's a, another painting of Mary going to see her cousin Elizabeth, and they greet each other, and and you can see again the waiting as they greet. It's it's fabulous. And it's a lovely exploration of three paintings, which I would strongly commend people buy. And real preparation. Now, it will prepare people for all the Christmas gig if you want it to. But you you don't need Christmas at the end of all this to make Mm. it a wow Advent. Advent can be fantastic without the 25th of December. I, I totally agree. I think the Paula Gooder I already mentioned, I've just discovered a new Advent book this year, which I've just bought and I have yet to read, called Frequencies of God, Walking Through Advent with R.S. Thomas. So I'm looking forward to, to going through that. As a, a librarian and a former bookseller, I thought I'd have a quick look on the ubiquitous Amazon just to see what there was available about Advent at the moment. And all you need to do is put in the word Advent and you get a whole load of suggestions, all sorts of books, depending on what sort of thing you like. Devotions to Advent, devotional readings by the Wesleys, all sorts of things. So I must admit, I always feel that with Advent and also with Lent, it's always to do something extra is good. And for me, reading a book is one of the top of the list. Can I make a plea also, I think, for reducing the number of hymns that are in the hymn book for Advent? There aren't many worth singing, actually, to be quite honest. But the, the one that is worth holding but keeping it back until the last week of Advent, don't cheat by using it too soon, is the, the hymn, um, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, because that's about uh, lots of different images of Jesus. None of them refer to him as a baby cooing in the manger, incidentally. It, it's all about the great, the great mystery of Jesus which really is worth looking at. And it takes one every day for the last seven days of the Advent season. Well worth doing that. 
finally, if like me, you love lots of nice Advent liturgy other than things like Advent crowns and, and all that sort of stuff, a, a nice book by the great liturgist uh, Kenneth Stevenson called Watching and Waiting is also a good book for people to do in their homes. It's, it was written for how you can have a good Advent in your home. And because sadly this year we are curtailed by the pandemic, maybe we've got to do a more serious Advent at home. That's great. Many thanks. I came across a rather nice quote from the German pastor and theologian uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who said, the celebration of Advent is possible only to those who are troubled in soul, who know themselves to be poor and imperfect, and who look forward to something greater yet to come. I think that's rather nice uh, summing up of a lot of what we've been talking about here today. Do either of you have any, have any last words uh, for this podcast that you'd like to make before we round off? Tony? Let the extrovert this time go first. I'm going to read it because it, it's, it's a phrase which I think is very true. Many voices clamour for our attention in Advent. His, the voice that cries out to us in the night, is the one we must hear and turn to. And when we found him, we must never let him go. Many thanks. Well, thank you both very much for joining us uh, for our podcast today. And I hope for our listeners, it's been interesting and useful in more or less equal measure. So once again, thank you to Tony and to Janice. And thank you to Reverend Samuel, who behind the scenes has been making sure that this uh, podcast is broadcastable. And thank you all for listening and for joining us. May we wish you a, a happy Advent. And our next podcast may well be nearer the time something about Christmas. Thank you and goodbye.